This is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. On this episode, I talk to a former Sesame Street actress and a future psychologist. On this episode with Tara Schaefer. So how are you doing today? I am doing good. That's fantastic. Thank you for being here with me. No problem. Happy to be here. Tell me about your disability as if I know nothing. I have osteogenesis imperfecta, a brittle bone disease type 3. I was diagnosed with it right after I was born because I came out with broken bones. And I actually had some uh, healed broken bones from when I was in utero. And uh, pretty much over, man, the last, how old am I, 33 years, about 300 times I've broken something. And after that, I lost count. That's just a ballpark. I have OI, too. We didn't bother to count, so that's impressive yeah. you even bothered. <laughs> it's a little bit of help uh, from my parents, though, because they keep track of the stuff I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, nobody bothered to keep count, so I have no idea. It's it's yeah. it's many a hundreds for me. It's many. Yeah, yeah. When did you first realize you were different? I think it was, like, when I started going to school, as I noticed people was like look at me more but it didn't really like make me uncomfortable because I was always a curious person and my parents always very early on I had a doctor that gave them some good advice about trying to make my life as normal as possible but make sure I knew my limitations so like experience life but within you know being safe but not too safe kind of thing so they always kind of were very honest with me about yet that I was different, but different doesn't necessarily mean bad. And that's a lot of how I see myself now is that, yeah, I might get around different from how other people get around, but I've actually had a lot of blessings in my life that probably would not have happened had I been born without a disability. What was it like for you growing up? Up until uh, later teenage years, it was difficult because that's where a lot of my breaks came from, probably the first about 150, 200, where in that time span, it, at one point, between that and another health concern I was dealing with, I was in and out of the hospital, maybe man, once or twice a week at one point. So it was very stressful for me, just like getting used to that, and then stressful for my parents, because they, um, when I was five, they decided to have other children. Taking care of them and taking care of me, it was like a full-time job in and of itself. So it wasn't easy for them either. But yeah, it it was stressful, but it was good too, because obviously some really good things happened back then. But the, the first, up until that point, it was definitely interesting. Your parents were really asking for punishment, weren't they? <laughs> they actually did not know until I was born. You know, it's a funny story, actually. My mom, when she, they realized she was in labor and she went to the hospital, 
uh, it was July 3rd, and they said, do you want us to wait like an hour so she can have, you know, a July 4th birthday? And she's like, yeah, I want her to be special. <laughs> and literally, she had no idea that I was going to come out with the disease. So it was like, man, you totally got what you wanted in space. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's typically something that you can tell with an ultrasound, that at least there's something different. So that's really interesting that she had no idea. Yeah, nope, they only knew because when I came out, I guess uh, I wasn't breathing right away. Probably because I was in pain, now that I think about it. Because I have like, when actually when I fracture something, I've noticed. And I didn't notice it back then, but maybe when I was a baby it happened too. That sometimes I hold my breath. And I don't realize I'm doing it to alleviate some of the pain. So I think as a baby, you kind of do that, but not realize you're doing it. Also, when you were growing up, you started with Sesame Street, which is something that's really cool. How did you get started with that? I actually, I was part of, I lived in Connecticut. And in Connecticut, there used to be up before there was Hartford Hospital. There was a children's hospital called Newington. And they had a wheelchair sports team called the Cruisers that I was a part of. And they did wheelchair races and softball throw. It was like traffic and field for people in wheelchairs. And when Sesame Street was beginning its 25th season, they wanted to diversify the cast a little bit. And one of the cast member uh, roles they wanted to fill was somebody with a disability. And they were calling different teams in the tri-state area for wheelchair sports and said, hi, we're putting out a casting call. Do you ha have anybody that you know would be good for that? Please give us their name. We'll send them the information. And so my coach gave us their information and then we contacted them and we said, is this something me and my parents, we decided we wanted to pursue because it was, it was something that was a cool experience that had nothing to do with any medical anything. Because usually when I'd have big surgeries, like right before, if it was something at like the National Institute of Health, we'd try and make a visit to the zoo before the surgery there to make it some sort of fun thing to look forward to and not just, you know, medical stuff. So we were like, okay, so this is something totally cool. Has nothing to do with that. And, you know, we'll have good memories down the line. Didn't think really anything would come of it. Just did my very best. And it was 120 people the first audition. They told me right away they wanted me to come to the second one after my table read. And then I think that one had about 60 people. The third time, it was uh, me and two other people. And it was with, like, everybody there. There, are other there was another, because it was a scene for the audition with the puppet. So there was a puppeteer there. It's the first puppeteer I ever met. Then it was like producers and everybody. So this it was like the final one. And about a month went by and we hadn't heard anything. So we figured they had given it to somebody else. And then the lady that was in charge of calling people, she called us and she's like, uh, so are you sitting down? And we're like, oh goodness, uh, it's going to be something bad. And she was like, no, 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 you got it. And I'm literally... At nine years old, this is what we did to celebrate. Me and my uh, family, they said, we can go out to dinner anywhere you want. And I said, Friendly's, because that was my favorite place at the time. So we had dinner at Friendly's, and we're sitting there talking about, like, you think Snuffleupagus is two people? You know what I mean? Trying to figure stuff out that we want to ask when we got there. I think almost all the puppets are two people, because you, you have two arms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Except um, for the ones that have the little rods coming out of the arms. That's one person, because they're able to do it one-handed, because they're just that good. 
I've had wheels on the chair stuck in my head since I've heard it, and I want to blame you for that. <laughs> when people want me to prove that I've been on the show, because I make a lot of friends online, they'll be like, do you have something from when you were on it? That's the first thing I show them. Because up until maybe five years ago, there was no other video of me except for something that was done when I was in college. But so, I don't know who it is, but somebody uploaded my a bunch of my old episodes, so now I have more to show. But it's really cool because, like, they'd be like, yeah, this is me. And then I'm, like, watching it going, I could not sing even then. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> was being on set of Sesame Street ruin the magic for you? You know, being around the puppets and seeing the actual people do the puppeteering? No, I think it definitely adds another level of magic because I still look back on that and like, because you get, oh my God, these are the people that do the puppets, but then you get to know them personally and how many people get to say that. Like recently they started one of the things that they put together. Um, the show's not as popular as it used to be. So the puppeteers, some of them have put like documentaries together. Like the guy who did Big Bird, he has his own documentary. And I think Kevin Clash, before all the bad stuff came through, he had one they ended up putting on Netflix. And the most recent one was actually puppeteers that knew Jim Henson, and they tell their favorite stories. Literally, I was totally a little Miss PR girl, because I knew a couple of them. Some of the other ones do more work with, like, Miss Piggy and stuff like that, because the Sesame Street puppets and the the Disney-type puppets are same family, different branches. But a couple of them are both. And I was totally, like, telling people, you got to go out and you got to get this thing. And this is my family. You know what I mean? And no one else gets to say that, that, that they're family. And it's just, like, literally, I, I have my Throwback Thursday photos are always, like, people are like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And to me, it's just like, yes, it's cool. But I think... In my heart or my family, it makes it even more magical for me, not less magical knowing how it goes. Yeah, they have started doing a lot of documentaries for the Muppets. The most recent one uh, Frank Oz did for Muppet Guys Talking. I haven't got a chance to watch it yet. I actually messaged the one lady, Fran Brill. I was like, I saw you. That was awesome. Because they did like a Facebook Live and they had no idea what they were doing. Because <laughs> they're older and technical stuff. It's like, huh? And I was teasing them, and they were like, ah, whatever. <laughs> Frank Oz recently got back into puppeteering. He did Yoda in the most recent Star Wars movie. But that was so cool. I was so happy to see Frank Oz back in the metaphorical saddle. He loves every one of his puppets like they're his children. It's cute. A lot of them are like that. Even if it's ones they've taken on for other people that have either passed away or have left. What was it like for you in grade school? It was interesting, like the earlier part of grade school and the latter part, um, I was in the same school, so it probably would have been harder if that wasn't the case, but it was kids I'd grown up with from like kindergarten or preschool, so it was like they already thought I was a cool kid, and then you add that onto it once I ended up getting it, it just made me even cooler. Kids were very understanding. You know, when there'd be like, say they do, I was actually telling a friend about this. They would do like soccer at recess and then somebody would actually kick the ball for me. And then if it was like kickball, they'd push me around the bases. Obviously, there'd be, you know, adults nearby to make sure that they didn't push me too fast or something. But they're always very understanding and didn't see me any differently than them. 
and that was cool. What is your relationship like with your parents? My mom actually passed away about six years ago, but both my relationship with both my parents, I, I, I would say it's been good. My dad, he helps me with, like, right now, today, like, he's sort of, like, he's the one that's, like, real with me about stuff. Like, when I come to him with, like, people problems, and I'll be like, you know, this person's, you know, saying this, and I, I don't understand why they're saying it. He's always giving me good advice about how to, like, deal with those kind of situations. And my mom, she definitely, even now, she always, she was always like my cheerleader. She always made sure that I made the best of everything and I carry that on with me, even now. When I would hurt myself, she would actually, like this one time we went to a wheelchair meet and my chair, front tires got stuck in a sidewalk crack and it flipped my chair forward. And while we were waiting for the ambulance, because we were out of town and couldn't take me ourselves, she was sitting there going, well, at least you don't have to go to school tomorrow, so silver lining, you know, <laughs> so you get the day off. And she was always doing stuff like that, that when it, even when things were, seemed really bad, she was always like, always look for the best part. But yeah, it, it, they definitely have helped me a lot become the person that I am, because had they not treated me as normal as possible, and showed me that I can do a lot, I would never have thought I could. Wheelchair malfunctions are always fun. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, one time I was leaving the hospital with a broken leg. A screw falls out of my wheelchair. The wheelchair just collapses underneath me, and I break the other leg. Oh, my god! So gosh. we turn around to go back inside. <laughs> Did they tease you? Like, uh, if you didn't want to leave, all you had to do was say so. I don't remember. I was really young at the time. Really? But I, I always think of that. Like, just everything that can go wrong just would go wrong. And that was, it was really great. <laughs> yeah. It's a great story. It probably wasn't very fun at the time. Yeah, you probably were, like, in slow-mo going, oh, my, no. And then... <laughs> Well, especially because there is no such thing as a short hospital trip. Yeah. So, you know, you've probably been there for hours. You're ready to leave. You're finally ready to go. You're leaving yeah. and the wheelchair falls apart and you got to go back. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to put the wheelchair back together before you can leave again. So. Yeah. What adaptations have you made to the world around you? As I've gotten older, unfortunately, my physical upper arm strength is still kind of there, but it's different now. I went from using like a manual chair to a power chair is what I usually use the most. But I like it because I get the kind of power chairs that you can drive like out in the open. So I actually take it to the store to go grocery shopping and stuff. Like the big grocery shopping my dad does for me, but like just going and getting like juice or whatever, I will actually go to the places myself because I can get to them. I am in an apartment, uh, it's for apartment complex for elderly and disabled people, pretty much people on social security, and they have ADA, semi-compliant anyway, apartments, so it has a roll-in shower, it's a normal toilet, but it has grab bars if I need them, and then it also, if God forbid I were to fall or something, it also has uh, like an emergency alert little pole thing there. That what it does is it automatically unlocks your door and it sets a bell off in the hallway so that people can come in to get you help. And I think that's pretty much it right off the top of my head in terms of 
like accessibility stuff. Most everything else is just normal stuff. The floor is a lot cleaner because I have to make sure I have clearance to get from the bed to the chair to the whatever. How long did you use a manual wheelchair before you got a power chair? I actually got my first power chair my freshman year of high school because the kids were getting taller and I was small little me. And what was happening was kids were actually in my smaller chairs. They, If they weren't paying attention to where they were going, like they were talking with their friends, there was a couple of instances where I got fell on. It was not fun. And so we were like, well, what's a way we could combat this? So the children's hospital that I was going to for my long-term care, they suggested, you know, if we put it through the insurance this way, you should be able to qualify, say, you know, it's for his safety concerns. And they got me a chair with a with a horn on it. And uh, literally, when someone would look like they weren't paying attention and were going to fall on me, I'd beep the horn and they'd be like, oh, okay, I didn't see you there. Sorry about that. <laughs> and that's how that started. See, my problem, the horn was never loud enough. Yeah. Mine, they actually, I remember that question, too. They're like, okay, so we're doing the order for him. How loud do you want the horn to be? And I'm like, well, these kids are tall, so whichever the top of the line one is, that one. So it literally, we, we made sure it was loud, but that's only because they gave us the choice. Yeah, I've never been asked, like, how loud do you want the horn to be? Like, on my wheelchair, that's always just been, like, a little tiny speaker that's on the controller. That's what I have now, but that's, I'm older now, so I don't mind being like, hey, buddy, watch where you're going, you know, because I'm an adult. Yeah, typically, if I notice somebody's about to run into me, I'll shout, heads up. Yep. That typically gets their attention quick enough. My mom used to shout four if we were at the store. (laughs) Just so they'd be like, what, who, what, is somebody got a golf ball up in here? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, my parents, they said they pushed it off because they didn't want me to get lazy. But I think it was they just didn't know how they were going to afford it until someone spelled it out for them. Plus, they didn't really trust me and my driving ability until they finally had no choice. Well, for me, it's really handy because my power wheelchair goes up and down. and Mine too. Well, it doesn't go down anymore. Apparently, I hit the weight class where I can't get the permobile that goes down to the ground anymore. Yeah, I had the power wheelchair that went down to the floor. The problem was that wheelchair was a bear to drive. It was, it was such a difficult chair to drive. When I came up for a new one, I got a different one <laughs> that no longer goes down to the floor. Yeah, I have it where I still had to have it. Because of my bad back. The one that reclines and then the one that gets goes up for like shelves at the store and stuff. Or if I want to reach into my freezer. If you could have any job, if education and cost or physical ability were not a factor, just pure enjoyment, what would you most like to do? I would definitely, I just don't have the patience for going to school for forever. Nor do I think my bones are hard enough to handle it. Though some are actually able to do it um, that have the disease that I know of. But I wanted to be a doctor for a really long time because I like being around people and I wanted to help kids with my disease and stuff. But I'm still sort of kind of doing that, but it's just a little later in life than I thought. I'm in school for um, psychology, so I'm going to be hopefully a psychologist at some point someday. 
Social Security offers a program that you take out the federal loans, but they actually, if you're on Social Security, in an effort to try and get you off of it, they'll actually, once you're done with school, forgive your loans. So that way, hopefully, you take the degree that you get, go get a job, and get yourself off Social Security. I thought it was a typo, and I got a letter from that, like one of those Social Security scams. But I called them up, and I said, "Is this, are you legitimately telling me this right now? And they said, yep, just give us a call when you're done. I'm like, okay. Because I was just going to do it, as, you know, for a little bit and then have OBR take over. But. It's really interesting how whatever occupation you're around as a youth makes you want to do that. Because I also wanted to be a doctor for a long time. Like, I've got all this medical information that swirls around in my head that I joke is from a previous life. Yeah. Still, people come up to me sometimes, if it's a friend or whatever, they ask, like, uh, Jacob, what do you think of this rash? Which is really nice of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, like, 99% of the time, I just tell them, it's just your soap. Just use a different soap. Yeah. It's almost always that. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway. I have it when people, like, injure themselves. Like, is this a sprain or a broken? How do you know it's a broken bone? Like, they will actually, the one day my friend messaged me on Facebook. She's like, I can't tell if I broke my arm or I just sprained it. And I said, well, did, you know, is is there swelling? You know what I mean? Does it get, like, a crackly type feeling when you try and move it? And we, we pretty much surmised it was a sprain, but it was funny that she knew to come to me for that. My answer to that is typically if you don't know if it's a break or a sprain, it's a sprain. Yeah, exactly. If you're not like, oh my God, I'm in a huge amount of pain, you're fine. (laughs) Yeah. If you can still use the limb, you're probably okay. (laughs) Yeah. Who inspires you or who do you look up to? I would definitely say, well, okay, this kind of a weird question, not weird answer, but you'll, you'll get what I'm saying. Two people. One's not here and one still is. My mom, even though she's not around because a lot of her outlook on life is what I carried with me. And a lot of her advice I remember and like even today. And then somebody that inspired me is actually a friend of mine who's like my adopted mother. And I know her online. I like to go on a social platform called Second Life. I run around as a little kid. I play a little five-year-old. Sort of just like an RP thing, but none of the creepy stuff. Just, you know, living out the childhood I didn't really get to have because of all the medical issues. And I do things like I farm and ride horses and stuff like that. And my mom for that, she reminds me a lot of my mom that passed away. And she's always given me good advice. And she has health issues too, uh, like pretty severe epilepsy. And she doesn't let it get her down, so I have a lot of respect for that. That she has a hard life too, but she makes the most of it. So yeah. So technically, both my mothers, but one's my actual mother, and then the other one's my adopted mother. That's great. That's cool that you're able to find that escape and second life. That's really cool. Yeah. What brings you joy? Definitely like helping others, even if it's just listening to a friend that's going through some kind of crisis and giving them advice. That's a lot of where the idea to be a psychologist came from, because I was always a really good listener to my friends and my family. And even at at a young age, I'd have family, like my my mom would come to me for advice or my dad would um, 
how to handle something. And I always seem to have advice, even if it was something I hadn't experienced myself. I just always had a gut feeling about stuff. I don't know. It's just, it, it's a lot of, in helping others, it makes, helps me feel fulfilled. So it's sort of like paying it forward, I guess, for all the help that I've gotten over the years for my different things that I deal with. What do you consider your biggest accomplishment? I would say of of things so far, definitely the Sesame Street thing. But I I feel like like just life in general that like it's totally in terms of things I'm going to accomplish. It, I'm just really getting the ball rolling. I'm, I stopped for a while, like really being goal oriented, and I kind of just settled. And I feel like I've got the drive again to just like tackle the world. So so far. Yes, I would definitely say the Sesame Street thing is my biggest accomplishment to date, but I believe that there's bigger stuff on its way because, you know, I'm, my life's only about a third over or something like that. So I still got time. What's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? I would think, and it's still a challenge, is like self-doubt because, you know, when you're brittle, sometimes you struggle to be like say you go through a particularly bad like over the summer I actually got really injured I broke my arm and my two ankles from a tremor I had in my sleep and it was really difficult because I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and then I was I had to live at my dad's house and he helped me take care of myself and it was it was quite a humbling experience and it was just like reminding myself even at my worst that I can do things even if bad things happen that would definitely be my biggest challenge is to remind myself that even though I'm not physically strong all of the time I'm emotionally strong I got the eye of the tiger pretty much (laughs) I was when when I was recovering I was playing all the like I got the take the world on by the horns type music to get myself through it So, actually, that was probably one of the songs I did listen to. (laughs) How do you think people see you, and how do you wish people would see you? I think a lot of people see me better than I see myself, and I'm hoping to change that. But that's like a confidence issue, like I said, the self-diet. Because a lot of people will come up to me and they'll say, you're so amazing, and I'll be like on my way to go to CVS to get chocolate I really shouldn't be eating, you know what I mean? There's no like understanding there on my part because I'm just living my life. How can that be inspiring? You know what I mean? But I think it's more of a question for me is learning to see myself in the positive light that most people see me in. Like, yeah, there's sometimes, you know, the mean people that don't understand but more often than not it's just like nosiness and misunderstanding when that stuff comes up but that actually it happens rarely nowadays when I was younger it used to happen more because you know kids just you know when you're going through high school and stuff like in like even early college they're they're still trying to figure themselves out let alone figure somebody else out these days, it's, it's, it's me seeing myself in a, the good light that most people see me in than the other way around. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? That I'm a good egg, and even though there are a couple times I messed up, I can still give freedom and 
<laughs> this was a lot of fun. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Tara for being on this episode, and thank you for listening. You can learn more about Tara at abilitypodcast.com forward slash Tara S. T-A-R-A-H-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at AbilityPodcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheJacobHolt. You can also send us an email, AbilityPodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a quick minute, please write and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the show. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep on rolling.